welcome to the Good Good Experience Podcast. Where related minds talk about related topics. And we all just happen to be related. Buckle up, this is going to be a good one. We've got that good good experience podcast. Love is in the air on this exciting episode of We Got the Good Good Experience podcast, a podcast where related minds talk about related topics, and we all just happen to be related. Hello again, everybody. I am Marcus Moses, and I cannot do this without my cousin co-host, Kimmy Brown, the queen of sound. Marcus, darling. I feel love in the air, y'all. Oh, yeah, love is definitely in the air. All the way up in the DMV. What's going on, Byron Bino Brown? What's up, Marcus? What's up, Kimmy? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's get this party started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, big shout out to the late, great Natalie Cole for kicking things mm-hmm. off this morning with I Got Love on My Mind. This was from her third album, Unpredictable. It was certified gold, selling over one million copies and has become one of her most successful and most popular songs. And this episode is going to be dedicated to our favorite love songs that have been covered by other artists. And we're going to go ahead and take the time out to get things started. We're not going to waste time, guys. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And so we're going to get this party started right, just like my man B-Note would say. So here we go without further ado. What's first, Kimmy? First up is Ribbon in the Sky by Intro. in the sky what can you say about this song this is a song written and sung by stevie wonder it was first featured on his 1982 greatest hits album stevie wonder's original musicquarium one and it charted at number 54 on pop charts number 21 on the adult contemporary number 10 on the r&b in the u.s when it was released and the song also charted in the uk reaching 45 now this version was performed by R&B group Intro, and it was featured on their debut album, Intro. And Ribbon in the Sky charted at number 11, actually, on the U.S. R&B chart for Intro. So what do you all have to say about 
intro's version versus the original. Well, of course, Stevie's version will always be just a classic. But I will give intro props. They did a pretty decent job. I'll give them that. <laughs> they, they really did, Kimmy. And truth be told, intro was one of those groups back in the early, mid-90s that you could kind of put up there with some of the other R&B groups that were there at the time. Remember the song, Come Inside? I think that was one of their big hits, Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. But this was just going back to their roots. Stevie Wonder was probably one of their influences, and they wanted to pay homage. But, you know, they did a really good job of covering this song. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, Stevie, you know, his is his song. So it doesn't matter who sings it. It's, this is always going to be Stevie's song. and But it's a definitely a banger. One you yeah. got to have in your collection. Exactly. And Kenny Green's voice just elevated it to another level. May he rest in peace as well. As you wow. know, Kenny wow. Green did make his transition, but he also was a songwriter for many artists, um, including Mary J. Blige and Will Smith and Cameron. And he worked with 98 Degrees, Changing Faces, Tyrese, a whole bunch of artists, but he passed away in 2001. Wow. Again, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next, Kim? Next up, one of my favorites. D'Angelo, feel yeah. like making good. When you talk to me, when you moan, sweet and low. like those artists that have their own like signature sounds so no matter what they touch it's like their own and you know they just craft it into their being mm-hmm. D'Angelo's one of those people yes D'Angelo is like like the stand up example of that Feel Like Making Love is a song composed by singer songwriter and producer Eugene McDaniels and recorded originally by soul singer songwriter Roberta Flack and it, of course, been covered by many different people. Gladys Knight and the Pips, Lou Rawls, Isaac Hayes, George Benson, Jeffrey Osborne. The list goes on. Even Johnny Mathis and Marlena Shaw are included in that list. But this version, oh, wow. This version was mm-hmm. D'Angelo's stamp on it. And it was featured on his second album, Voodoo. And it was released as his final, as the fifth and last single from the album in April of 2000. His version features like a more quiet storm radio style. And originally it was planned to be a duet between him and Lauren Hill. Mm. 
but, mm-hmm. but that failed to materialize due to too many middle people in between or whatever. But it did chart at number nine, peaked at number nine on the U.S. bubbling under R&B and hip hop singles chart. I don't know if it was really push to do anything as a as a single because it reached 109 on the Billboard Hot R&B and singles chart ultimately. 109, but number nine in the bubbling. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with probably because of the success of the untitled single, How Does It Feel, which really killed the charts. But I do remember this song. You had to have the album, not necessarily have the, have the, have the album in order to hear the song, but I do remember this song being played. I think I was living in Jacksonville at the time, and I do remember this song being played on some of the Quiet Storm stations down there in uh, Jacksonville. And like you said, Byron, this and this is D'Angelo. I really think he he's one of the most underrated artists yes. of our time. Yeah. Not only was not only as a musician, but as a songwriter and a producer. I mean, I think he's very underrated because uh, he he wrote a lot of songs. I just found out recently that song by Black Men United. You will know. He, I think mm-hmm. he wrote it. D'Angelo. D'Angelo yeah. had a lot to do with that particular song. So I just don't think that we, as the culture, give D'Angelo his just due. Absolutely. D'Angelo could sing the alphabet and I'm here, all here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Prince had, I guess, mentored him. As, well, they, they collaborate. Well, not necessarily collaborated, but Prince. Was had, his mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was his mentor. Absolutely. Like I said, D'Angelo can do no wrong. I want more from him yeah. in every way. No stop. <laughs> Can't <laughs> mm. <laughs> get a little freaky on this love. I'm not even gonna laugh. I'm not even gonna ask. Yeah, yeah, we'll just blame D'Ang- the lack of- D'Angelo is he's a goat in his own right. Um, yes, he is. Gosh. Yeah. Signature show. Yeah. What's next, Kim? Next up, some from the greatest, Miss Whitney Houston. I will always love you. And I wish you joy and happiness. But above all you love and I will always love you I will always love you I will always love you, I will always love you. Wow. Yes. What a beautiful, beautiful song. That was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. The song was originally written and recorded by country music singer Dolly Parton back in 1973. It was written as a farewell to her business partner and mentor, Porter Wagner, expressing Parton's decision to pursue a solo career. The country single was released in 1974. The song was a commercial success for, for Dolly Parton, twice reaching the top spot, the Billboard Hot Country, first in June of 1974 and again in 1982. But however... Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 1992, a young woman by the name of Whitney Houston covered this song for the 1992 film The Bodyguard. And Houston's version peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for then a record-breaking 14 weeks. I don't have to go into how successful this particular version of this song was because we all lived through it. We all know. And and there was no bigger artist from about 1986 to probably about 1995, 96, 
there was no bigger R&B female artist than Whitney Houston. What do you guys say? What can what can we say? Number one, this is my girl from my hometown, but this song just took her to the next level. It just really did. And again, like we said earlier, only certain people can sing the cover of another song and just completely take it over and they'll be like that other person never sing it <laughs> exactly and this is one of them songs Whitney Houston is one of those people yeah this was genius to pair her with this song what was our co-star's name Kevin Costner yeah Kevin Costner was the one that suggested that she sing this song ultimately Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. He suggested this song for her. And that was genius. I'm wondering if, I'm hoping he got a piece of the prize that she received from the success from the song. Because in addition, you know, Dolly Parton was just kicking around and screaming to the bank with this one because mm-hmm. <laughs> Whitney Houston did her, her damn job, a bang up job on this one. And <laughs> No one else will ever be able to record this song as a result, I don't think. I don't know. Has anyone even tried to? I'll think about it. I mean, you can't. I mean, after Whitney, you mean? After Whitney. Nah, I don't think anybody should ever try either because it's just not gonna. Because we're just gonna, we're just gonna compare it to that. Exactly. You know. And nobody's going to be able to. I, I think maybe you coming to Whitney, you're not going to be able Jennifer, to do it. I believe Jennifer Hudson maybe can kind of challenge, make a challenge, maybe. But we'll still yeah, be comparing. Sometimes she has a tendency to yell. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a difference between like the, the screaming and yelling. That's why I kind of beef with a lot of a lot of times with beehive people. Because, you know, when oh, we go there, we go. <laughs> there's a difference. But... <laughs> Whitney was is she a mezzo soprano? She was a mezzo soprano. She was one of those sopranos, yeah. And it was like a natural voice. It wasn't operatic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure she could do that version. But mm-hmm. I've heard her do it. I've heard her do opera before, and she can do it. She mm. can do it. So but for her to like just fine tune her instrument to where it sounded so crisp and and it's not just, forced, right? Effortless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and before we before we go any further, I don't plan on apologizing to the Bayhive all 2024 for some of <laughs> It's let, my just... opinion, out of which I'm entitled to, and I stand by it. So <laughs> bring it. <laughs> bring it if you have an issue with it, because you know it's what it is, oh and it's the truth. Hey, let's move forward <laughs> the before Barry gets too turned up. Oh, all right. <laughs> Next up. Jodeci, lately. Joe to see 
released lately as a promotional single for the live album Uptown MTV Unplugged in June of 1993, claiming the number one spot on the hot R&B, hip-hop singles, and tracks chart as the group's fourth number one R&B hit. It was also Jodeci's highest-peaking pop hit, reaching number four on the Billboard Hot 100 in August 1993, and it sold 900,000 copies and was certified gold by the RIAA. And who originally sung this song? Stevie! Exactly. We're going to talk about Stevie like a couple of times today. Anyway, he recorded lately on his Harder Than July album in 1980, and the song just reached number three in the United Kingdom. What say you? I would wonder, I'm curious to find out mm-hmm. if Stevie Wonder, if we put Burt Bacharach and Stevie Wonder side by side, I wonder who's had the most covered songs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious because Stevie Wonder was a beast, is a beast, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And this version, and the version that we played for the show, that's the one that was featured on the Diary of a Mad Band mm. album. Best but, album. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but, the, but that live, it was an MTV Unplugged version. That, I think that opened them up to a whole new audience, to be exactly, honest. Exactly, exactly. That allowed them to have crossover success. Yeah. You have to think about this, too. We just mentioned this with Whitney and the I Will Always Love You song. You know, nobody really knew the song was a cover until Whitney made it as huge as it was. And I'm willing to think the same thing about this particular song. Nobody knew this was a cover until it began to have a whole lot of success. And so... When you have artists like a Whitney Houston and Jodeci, groups like Jodeci that can take certain songs and, and take them to a next level, man, you got to give mad props to them for just being who they are. I mean, they're just gifted singers. I mean, astronomical, just gifted singers. And I'm just so, I'm at a loss of words, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously mm-hmm. you're absolutely right a lot of people didn't realize that Stevie Wonder sung this song first because it wasn't as popular as his other songs yeah and I'll just say this with the Dolly Parton song that was a huge record too so people didn't know that song because I remember that as a kid I remember that being played when it was out but I think when we talk about the artistry and the level of, of the power of an artist someone with that type of voice Stevie Wonder's voice or Whitney Houston's voice when artists embrace those songs or when they embrace a song or when the artist embraces their music it just takes it to a different level absolutely absolutely what's next Kim well didn't you want to talk a little bit about love today mm-hmm. I absolutely do in celebration of Valentine's Day this is our love episode I wanted to pose a question to our panel now Lenny Williams who's a friend of ours been on our, been on our mm-hmm. show before we had a great conversation i think it's episode five that you can check it out on the we've got the good good experience podcast our interview with the great lenny williams one of his most famous songs cause i love you has a line in there where he said he wanted to roll himself in a big old ball and die take a listen for yourself but i told my friend i said you know maybe you've never been in love like i've been in love and maybe you've never felt the things that i felt but this is what i told my friend i said you know sometimes you get lonely, you get lonely, you get lonely, oh, oh, 
So you heard it for yourself. At one point in time, Lenny says he he was so hurt that he wanted to roll himself in a big old ball and die. So I pose the question to my two wonderful co-hosts. Have you ever at any point in your life been in this type of love before? I'll start with you, Byron. But of course, I think we've all, uh, hopefully we've all experienced the type of love that sparks that type of emotion. That's that, that good, good love that, you know, we, we should all be blessed to experience. I'm not going to go into any details about it, but I mean, yeah, I mean, of course I've experienced that. In my 49 plus years, what do you think? (laughs) 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 But yeah, but it's all a journey it's Mm -hmm. what makes you who you are so i don't regret the good nor the bad it's all part of the journey and i'm grateful absolutely for me i don't think i've ever been so much in love to the point that i wanted to actually die but however i've experienced what they call quote unquote that hurt hurt Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i've experienced that and it's like both you guys were saying it was an experience. It was an ex- it was a journey, something to learn from. And it just it made me a better person. It made me learn how to love the one I'm with now. You know, big shout out to my wife, Shamika. Uh, Shamika. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it helped me to, to learn how to love her the way a woman should be able to love. But just to take a take another direction on it, but there's no greater love that comes than that from above. To be perfectly honest, and mm-hmm. so, so when you have that, everything else is just small potatoes. If you if you ask me, when you have the love of God in your life, you can get through anything. And so that's my take. I just wanted to just kind of pick your brains a little bit to see if you experience. The love that Lenny Williams experienced back in night was in 1973. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to add to that. There's nothing beautiful than what comes after that, though. When you find yourself mm-hmm. in that, I call, I call it a grieving, <laughs> the state of yeah. grieving. Because that's, I mean, that's the equivalent. It's like you're you're grieving something. Uh, the self-reflection. Self-reflection, guilt or regret. or yeah. thing? But what comes afterwards, and I, and I say this to friends, currently going through that stuff because I had to play counselor and, you know, I listened to what they're going through and it's the journey, like Kim said, but what comes afterwards is like even more powerful, that self-awareness. And then yeah. when you find something even greater than what you had before, you know, mm-hmm. it so, molds yeah. you into a better person because of that experience. Mm-hmm. If you allow it to. Yeah. Be Some open people to- will wallow in that for way too long. Yeah. All right. Great discussion, guys. Let's keep it moving. What's next, Kim? Next up, true. All I do is think of you. I'll be gonna take the long way home Just so I can be alone 
is think of you. Yeah, All right, that was song. part of the New Jack Swing version yes. of Man. the song. Troop released this cover version on their Attitude in Attitude album in 1989. Mm, great album. It was produced by Chucky Booker. Remember mm-hmm. Chucky Booker? Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their version was released by yeah. Atlantic Records and reached number one on the R&B singles chart on June 30th, 1990. It peaked at number 47 on the Billboard Hot 100. And who originally sang this? The Jacksons. Jackson's. The Jacksons. Yeah. Don't act like you knew. Anyway, <laughs> you knew now. Yeah. So. Originally sung by the Jackson 5 on the Motown label in 1975. It was initially released as the B-side to the group's single Forever King Today, before mm-hmm. being released as an A-side single months later. The song is the final charted single by the group before they left Motown for Epic Records in 1976. Absolutely. And Kim, thank you for calling me out on my on my mess. You know, I... <laughs> I'm just like a, a, a whole bunch of people who had no earthly idea. <laughs> that this but that's okay. Song. Back then, there was a lot of people that probably did not know yeah, yeah. that Michael still, and them did it. There were a lot of songs that we could have put on this show that we didn't even. A lot of songs. Do. A lot of songs. Yeah. When I yeah. when I threw my list together, I was like, oh dang, I, I remember another. Yeah. I was like, oh gosh. Yeah, but uh, truthfully, I mean. Kim, I think you posted this uh, on our Facebook page, uh, the We've Got the Good Good Experience Facebook page, and I shared it on my page, and there were several people that commented, they, and they all said the same thing. I thought Troop sang What's this. I had no idea that the Jacksons sang this. And so it's just a testament how these, uh, the, like, like Byron made mention of the power that some of these artists have to take a song that doesn't have as much success and rebrand it and make it their own. This is one. This is one of the prime examples of one of those songs. And yeah, Troop I, did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Love me some Troop. Yeah, Spread I love my it. Wings. <laughs> yes, yes. I, my attitude. I love that song too. But I love it when when someone's throwaway becomes someone else's golden treasure. I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. What's next, Kim? Next up, Alicia Keys. If I was your woman. All right. Life is so crazy and love is unkind because she was first violent. Will she hang on your mind? You're born to me, but you don't even know it. Oh, what you need, but I'm too afraid to show it. If I were your woman, if I were your woman. Absolutely. That was the great Alicia Keys with her cover of the great Gladys Knight and the Pips song, If I Were Your Woman. Did I see something wrong, Kim? No, I was trying to remember if she sang it at the concert. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, which was sampled by Isaac Tate's version of Walk On By for her second studio album, The Diary of Alicia Keys, back in 2003. Keys sampled the same loop of Hayes' song, the Notorious B.I.G. sampled on his song, Warning, which was produced by Easy Mo B., Co-produced 
Keys version. Keys will later record a full version of the song on her first live album, Unplugged. Now, if I were your woman, again, originally recorded by a group, Last Night in the Pips, was written by Pam Sawyer, Clay McMurray, and Gloria Jones. It was released in the late 1970 from the album of the same title. It spent one week at number one on the best-selling soul singles chart in January of 1971, and it peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. I love Gladys Knight and the Pips. I really love Gladys Knight and the Pips. Alicia Keys is an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, this particular cover didn't have the success as Gladys Knight and the Pips, but however, nobody can touch Miss Gladys Knight when it comes to the vocals on this particular song anyway. But however, Alicia Keys put her own spin on it, and I think she, I, I liked it. You know, it's on my it's on my playlist. <laughs> so what do you guys think? We love Alicia Keys. She's one of my baby's favorite artists, and she did a great job. I like it. Yeah, I like Alicia Keys. I'm not a really big fan of this version of it, but but yeah, she's one of my favorite artists. And at that time, Alicia Keys on her debut was on fire. You remember? Uh-huh. She yes. cleaned up at the Grammys. She shut India Ari out. Bless her heart, because India <laughs> Ari was poised to get so many Grammys, and all of them went to Alicia Keys. It seemed like the same in, in those categories. But but yeah, I love Alicia Keys. Nothing bad to say about Alicia Keys. Absolutely. We're going to continue to keep the train moving. What's next, Kim? Next up, Will Downing, Wishing on a Star. I'm wishing on a star To follow where you are I'm wishing on a dream And I'm wishing all the rainbows that I see I'm wishing all the people we'd ever be And I'm wishing all the days to come and days to go I'm wishing all the days of loving you so Yes, I am, yes, I am I'm wishing on a star Now, we have had Will Downing on our show I mean, played his song on our show before The um, I Try mm-hmm. And this is another one of those songs that he just takes and just bodies it. But this is from his Come Together as One album, which was released in 1989 and was produced by Brian Jackson and Will Downing. And I believe this is one of them songs that, that you only hear on the Quiet Storm. Quiet tonight. Storm, yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah. what I remember. But Christiana Storm is a ballad that was first recorded by... Rolls Royce. Royce. Royce, Royce, very good. <laughs> it was written by former Undisputed Tooth member Billy Ray Calvin and produced by Norman Whitfield. The song was originally offered to Barbara Streisand for an album project, but she declined. Mm. It was first released in 1977 and has since been recorded by numerous acts like the Cover Girls in 1992. I love their version. Love that. Jay Z in 1998. It probably wasn't like exactly like that. Beyonce in 2005 and Seal in 2011. 
and many, many more. Honestly, there's like a long list of people who've. Covered. Yeah, this oh. this is the best version I think out of those covers. Man. It's like velvet. To your ears and, you know, sophisticated soul to its finest. Will Downing can do no wrong. And I love how he always remains true to his form, singing mm -hmm. in that low register. But he can get up there in those notes as we he can hear he in that did. song. So he has the range. But, yeah, you got to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I want to I take a time out to kind of push Will Downing. I think he's so underestimated. And, and I'm guilty of it because people have been trying to tell me about Will Downing, you know, over, over a period of time for the past many, many years. Like, look, you got to get wheeled down. You got to get some wheel down in your life. You got to get some wheel down in your life. Mm -hmm. And just listen to this one particular snippet. It should tell you why you should have wheel down in your life. It's unbelievable range. You know, it's just impeccable. It's just a smooth, calming, peaceful mm -hmm. sound that it gives you. You know, this is definitely something that you definitely got to have. Get some wheel down in your life, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to me. Start from the beginning and get some wheel down. Mm -hmm. He could do it all. Upbeat, slow, mm -hmm. all of that. He does it. Great. His voice is like velvet. What is that? Velvet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's next, Kim? Next up, Beyonce, I'd Rather Go Blind. All right. When a reflection in a glass that I held to my lips now, baby. Reveal these tears that are on my face Ooh. And baby, and baby Oh man, that was Beyonce with I'd Rather Be Blind. And this was a song that was covered for the movie Cadillac Records starring She, along with Adrian Brody, along with others. It was originally recorded by the great Etta James back in 1967. It's regarded as one of the blues and soul classics. It's from the Tell Mama album on the A side and I'd Rather Go Blind on the B side. This song is definitely a classic. I want to pose a question to you guys. When Beyonce sings it in the movie Cadillac Records, assuming you guys have seen it, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't have mm -hmm. it. Uh -huh. how, many how many times have you guys cried when she's singing to the old boy? Keep going. Keep going. That, I'm just asking. I, I, you guys never cry on that part? No. No, nah, so, I'm hey, good. Okay, whatever. I, no, <laughs> I'm not, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been moved by a performance like that as far as acting. I know uh, <laughs> I wasn't moved. So, okay, I'll just say this. You know, there's nothing to say bad about Beyonce. She's She's got the talent. We all know that. For me, it's a lot that comes behind the talent that makes it convincing for me. It's not just someone belting out a song or whatever. That, I mean, it's it's hard to even articulate it's in the face, it's in the eyes, it's also in the in the depths of the voice. You gotta feel something. And that's always been a disconnect for me. And that's, that's always okay. It's always okay. I, I know you all are like, okay, here we go again. No, no. You have <laughs> I will. to 
I was. To voice your opinion. Yes, I'm just. I'm, that's just me. I just. I, I just. I just was not connected. But go ahead. Uh, I sound like a discussion question for a later episode uh, mm -hmm. about the beehive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lil yeah. Cam, come on, Lil Cam, let's have a discussion about the beehive. Oh snap! Oh, 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 oh the that's the original beehive. Honestly, oh, so you all are talking about the beehive. You all are talking about the beehive. That's what they call it, the beehive. But people shorten it, and say beehive, but it's the beehive. Shots um, fired. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get petty and really specific on the facts, let's get it correct. I think oh, we should shoot. digress. I think we should digress and go on to the next song. What's next, Kim? <laughs> well. Wait, there's more. Oh, well, since y'all brought it up, okay, and this is all about love, mm. let's talk about how much Beyonce's husband loved her. Oh, okay, that's during Jay Z's accepted speech for the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award that he received, he focused on his wife, and I, I will commend him for it. Mm -hmm. However, he said that. He's tired of the Grammy snubbing his wife for album of the year. And he feels like she is purposely being left out. How are you feeling about that? Being left out of what? Get being awarded Grammy of the year. She's had several Grammys, but she hasn't had the pivotal Grammy. Hey, before you go on, Taylor Swift has never won Song of the Year. <laughs> I found I was like I found that kind of I was like wow I mean she's wins that album of the year but she's never won song of the year I guess album of the year is that pinnacle that people reach for I guess I don't know I always you thought know, when you get a Grammy you get a Grammy yeah I didn't think there were like levels to it but hey. I mean she has what 35 65 32 now? she has 32 Grammys I mean how many more do you want I mean I know I mean, Grammy at, at this point is a Grammy yeah just oh, just I got go, a Grammy just out man. <laughs> We just go sit uh, down. But uh, I commend him for doing that. And and there uh -huh. is some truth. There is some truth on that because it's quite interesting that someone who is consistent at the Grammys that does not have the full gamut, the scope of all of the categories. You would think, but then again, look at the material because the, I mean some of the years that she was up for it, she was up against some great albums that were actually better than hers, believe it or not. And it's okay if and that okay. album is better than yours. I love artists who are about the music, not the awards. Yeah, and that's they're what it should be. Putting out, they'll, they'll put out an album every year and they don't care about the Grammys. It's just as long as they are putting out what they artistically want to share with the world. Yeah. I oh. like, And I like to see their growth. Mm -hmm. Let me ask a question. Does Jay-Z feel like she should have got it because... She's Beyonce, or did she really have a quality album that really should have been considered for a Grammy for an album of the of the year? Number one. Mm -hmm. Oh, now and that's no that's no shade. That's no shade because I listen to all of the albums. I do. But apparently there's some type of criteria you're supposed to meet in order to be eligible for album of the year. And it sounds like he's saying that she's met that criteria, but you never give it to her. But she's been nominated for it. So that says enough, I mean, to be nominated into that category. But, I mean, there are others that may have had a stronger performance. I mean, sales doesn't equate to a win, as we all know. Mm. 
or a nomination because you know you see artists who have should have huge yeah like you said records. indie R&B yeah yeah should have should have should have got it so but but this mm, is the thing no go ahead I'm sorry go ahead so why not give the power to the people let mm. us decide mm. who wins the Grammys and don't just give us like an all version of it called the People's Choice Award awards or whatnot. <laughs> Uh, I mean, let let us decide. I mean, use the criteria that you use to nominate these people and then put them on your website and let us do the vote. Let us decide because we're the ones paying for the mm -hmm. pay. Exactly. We're the ones buying the stuff. You know what I'm saying? Let us decide who wins the Grammy. And that's why the American Music Awards is so popular because it's based off of the fans, based off of the audience. But I, I will say this, the Grammys, though... They've made strides over the years. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do. I have a lot to say about some of their choices when it comes to some of these nominees in different categories. And, you know, some areas they get it right. And there's a lot to, a lot of work to be done in others. Like, you know, don't get me started with the dance category. They never this, get that right. But this is my thing, though. Yeah. No one thought this happened, though, because they didn't even air the hip hop um, exactly. portion on television. They KRS one had a good point with that. You Thank know? you. So you, you you knew exactly what I was gonna yeah. bring up. Go ahead, yeah. say it. Yeah, he he said he said, Oh, after forty nine years, you now want to pay us homage to give us our dues? No, I'm not gonna be a part of that. You never saw him on the stage with any tributes or anything like that. You know, shucking and as he called it, shucking and jiving on the stage for <laughs> for, for for them to acknowledge <laughs> And he's that. and he's considered hip hop gold. Philosopher, he's a philosopher, philosopher of hip hop. I think the professor of hip hop. Yeah, yes. exactly. But this is my thing. So they're thinking since we did the whole fifty years of hip hop show that we just don't have to show your portion of the awards ceremony now. Yeah, I've I've had a feeling about all of this. For a long time with the Grammys, there's certain why certain categories are not shown because we're all fans of all the music that's nominated. So why not give them that particular spotlight? I remember back in the day when the Grammy Awards seemed to ooh, maybe that's why because of the time slot and they they want to keep it within what the three hours or the two hours or whatever that is on. Maybe that's the reason. But you do you all recall back in the day how long it was used to be? The Grammys it used were always to be like. So, not, I don't want to say eight hours, but with commercials it, and everything, it yeah. would be like almost like a five, five to six hours. hour Yeah, it was deal. beyond 11, 11 p.m. It might and, start at eight and it wouldn't be done till like after 12. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was a great show, but, mm -hmm. but yeah. I, I'm just curious to know, do you think that's the only reason why they don't air certain categories? And if that's the case, okay, why not alternate each year? Okay, this year we're not going to air the best hip hop album, but we'll air it next year. You know, we won't, and we won't air the best, what, I don't know what country, country. album. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. you don't, this yeah. is my thing. Like we've said before, hip hop has changed the world, period. It has. So to just pretty much go back to the eighties and just completely not even show our version, um, our portion of the awards show. Hmm. It should it should be a fixture, just like country is a fixture. Exactly at this at this particular point. So there's no reason for hip hop or R and B to not be in the forefront. Oh, well, and to to expand on Marcus's idea, or you just show 
the album of the year for hip hop, album of the year for country, just do it that way. That would mm -hmm. save some time. And then the rest of the awards not be shown. Yeah, that's fair. I yeah. think so. Because to me, oh, the Grammys to me are your opportunity to get enlightened on what music is out there because I always discover music through, through Grammy nominations. I don't know about you guys. And, and I think other audiences would benefit from that too. Mm. Oh, this artist was nominated for a Grammy in, on a hip hop. Let me check them out. You know, expands, it, it expands, it exposes them. I'm sorry, expands their audience, but it exposes them to a new audience in a sense. Same and thing, that's but. why. After Killer Mike won, everyone has been Googling and downloading his music because mm -hmm. they're like, who is Killer Mike? So welcome. While we sit on the porch and say welcome, because we already knew. We already knew. We, 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 already knew. About we, we actually had his song on our last episode. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Another great discussion, guys. What's next, Kim? Corner Sisters. Fire. Mm. You had a hold on me right I love be some pointer sisters. I've, and that was I've, a great portion of the song that you picked. I like that. <laughs> I think that's the the favorite part of everybody. They love that that quietness, and then all of a sudden they come back in all soulful. So, "Fire" is a song written by Bruce Springsteen in 1977, and it had its highest profile as a 1978 single released by the Pointer Sisters. It was the first single by the Pointer Sisters as a trio featuring Anita, June, and Ruth Porner. And it was on their 1978 release, Energy, led by Anita Porner as a lead. May she rest in peace. This song, wow, it just has a signature sound, but as far as its chart performance, it reached number 15 in a hot 100 end-of-year charts, year-end charts. But number 14 in the R&B singles charts, number 21 in the adult contemporary charts, number 2 on the U.S. Hot 100 Billboard chart, debuting on November 11th of 1978 and reaching the number two position. I remember this because I was a little kid, what, first grade, I believe, when this was out, and it was always being played on the radio. Always. And that guitar riff is what catches your attention, and then the soulful voices of the beautiful Pointer Sisters just takes you to another dimension. It's like, every time I hear it, it's like I heard it from the first time. Pointer Sisters is like a part of our history. It's a part mm -hmm. of our landscape as as kids, honestly. I mean, jump? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As for me, I'm just burning for a neutron dance. Um, oh, my oh gosh, okay. I that. Yeah, so you don't like you don't like fire? 
Oh, I love that song. I love that song. I was I was really just trying to be funny, you know, trying to go into our next leeway. <laughs> it would have been funny <laughs> had you got out and done the Neutron Dance. So let's see the Neutron Dance. <laughs> but they had a lot of hits, though. They had, they had a lot, had a of, lot hits. of hits. Are any of them still alive? Only one. Ruth. Okay. The oldest. I'm not even Oh, my sure. gosh. Yeah, Ruth is the oldest. Because, okay. yeah, June, June was the first to pass. And then Bonnie and then Anita last year. Anita just passed. Because yeah. originally it was four of them. That's it was right. four. And this mm-hmm. was the first time. This was their debut as a trio. And it was on to the bank. It was off to the races when they debuted but as a trio. Isn't that interesting, though? As soon as the one sister leaves, the three sisters, like, skyrocket. Yeah. And that's that natural chemistry. And, you know, every time I see the Pointer Sisters, I see our aunties. Mm-hmm. I see my, mm-hmm. I see our aunties. That's why I guess I guess that's why they're so endearing to me because I just love that natural chemistry that they have and and just that you can't you can't teach that stuff, you know, that the natural harmonizing, they just fall into place. Exactly. Naturally, it was you know? natural. It was natural. Yeah. Oh, and your aunties love you too. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. They do. What's next, Kim? Next up, Monica, <laughs> angel of mine. What you mean to me, you'll never know. Deep inside, I need to show. So many people may not know this, but Angel of Mine is actually a cover song, as you're going to find out. This was recorded by, this version was recorded by Monica for her second studio album, The Boy's Mine, in 1998. However, the song was originally recorded by British R&B group Eternal. Do you all remember Eternal? Yes. They had the song Stay and a couple other songs, One Step from Heaven. One of my favorite girl groups out of the UK, it was from their first album, compilation album, that was released in 1997. And it became their 12th and final top 10 hit in the UK charts, peaking at number four. And it was their first single as a three-piece because originally they were a four-piece band, but they remember Kelly Bryan left the group and then they released that song. However, Monica, as with history always proves when you have like a strong performance or performer, she took it even further. She reached number one in the UK hip-hop charts, number four in the UK singles charts. Here in the US, it was certified platinum. It topped the US Billboard Hot 100 charts for four weeks and peaked at number two on the US Billboard Hot R&B singles chart. What do you all have to say about Angel of Mine, Monica's version? Honestly, when it first came out, I didn't know it was a cover. But I did learn later on that about the British group. And of course, Monica, like she always does, bodied this song. Yeah. 
I like Monica's music better when she's when it seemed like she was going through some stuff because it's mm-hmm. sad, but that, isn't yeah. that with most yeah with yeah. most artists, I, especially Mary J? Yeah, that first exactly. album by Monica. Ooh, oh, yeah. this one I I didn't say you know I, I'm not gonna say I didn't like it, but I just wasn't in love with the song per se. But I mean, she did an outstanding job of it. You know, like I said, I did I had no idea it was a cover song. But however, it did have success. You know, we heard it on the radio a lot. You know, like I said, I mean, she made it her own. She put her own little moniker sprinkling on it and whatnot. But like I said, me personally, it's not one of my favorites by her. But it's very, very solid. Very, very solid, to say the least. You know, I don't want to take anything from anybody, you know. But it's just, this is just me. You know, my personal opinion. It's not one of my favorites, but I, it's a very solid song. Yeah, this was her pop, one of the more popular sounding songs, I think. Yeah. Out of her repertoire. Yeah. I still love Monica overall as an artist. I think she's still steady mm-hmm. uh, growing as an artist, you know, as she's becoming more of a more mature woman. Because you have to think that she started in the business. She was only 14 and she was killing it then. So now for her to kind of like settle down and come into her own and as an actual mature artist, she's really doing some great stuff in the music business. She was a 30 year old, 14 year old. She was. <laughs> she was. She was. She really she was. was. She really was. She's she was very mature. Like, yeah. She really was. And actually, she's going to be in concert here in Columbus, Georgia on Valentine's Day. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. What's next, Kim? Next up, Mary J. Sweet thing. Mm. That was Sweet Thing by Mary J. Blige from her What's the 411 album. Became the Blige's third top 40 on the U.S. Hot 100, reaching number 28. In addition, it marked Blige's first entry on the New Zealand singles chart. But for those who really know music, we all know that this was a cover of the funk and R.B. band Rufus with the vocals led by none other than the great Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan? Uh, Shaka Khan? <laughs> going to do the same thing. <laughs> As a single, it peaked number five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1976 and was one of the band's biggest covers. I got to put it out there, guys. Which one do you like best? Do you like? I knew you were going to ask that. Goodness. I mean, because I I don't know. I mean, because both of them are like fire. fire, Yeah, they're so close. There's the song so similarly. But I'm leaning a little bit more towards Shaka. Yeah, I, I, I would say Shaka because Mary sings it so close to. How Shaka Khan sang it. The only difference is really the riffs at the end, the ad libs to me. Mm. But anyway. I love like, both versions. <laughs> and you, you asked the question. We had to choose, of course. And, the, and we didn't the, say, case, oh, Shaka was way better. Yeah, it, it's yeah. very close. But it's very she close. Just it yeah, a bit. you know, it, had she changed a it a little bit, maybe there would be a distinguishing factor. But no, they're both great. But Shaka's original version is the blueprint. 
yeah, yeah. I was gonna say the same thing, but Mary, man, like I said, mm. she really, really, really put her whole man, just whole bank on it. Like, and seriously. this was from the My Life album, am I mm-hmm. right? No, what's the four one one? What's the four one one? Yeah, it was, it, it was what's the four one one, but they really poured into her and her album, regardless of what how she was or what was going on in her personal life. That was the type of work that lacking today with these and just really pouring into the artists and helping them just come into their own personally developing that's going to happen naturally as they experience life but when you have a product like this you got to get it right from the start and curate the right things and you know this is something that we are still listening to 20 something years later you know but the the reason we're still listening to it is because everything to expand on what you were saying is Almost everything that we're hearing now seems sounds exactly the same, and it doesn't have that umph in it. It has yeah. it's it doesn't even have soul. It's just like prepackaged crap. Pump and dump. Uh, I call it pump and dump. They you exactly. Know, they, all, they, they don't put any. Oh, 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 they don't I put any. That bar, that's a baby term. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They don't. It's like not enough thought is going into a lot of this material. Like I'm looking at the stuff that people are putting out. And I'm like, really? Is this something that you're going to look back on and be proud of? Really? But you never know. Maybe they will be. This I mean, different world. We, I think I mentioned this before one time. We live in like a microwave uh, mm-hmm. version type of, of music. People just so quick to try to just put something out. Like yeah. a lot of these songs are not even two and a half minutes long. Some are not even two minutes long. They just so quick to just put something out. And even now you're starting to see less words in the song. It's mainly about the fun. Or it's the it, same words. It's like it's five melodic. words. Melodic. And they just say it over and yeah, over yeah, and over yeah. again. I, I call it swinging yeah. songs. How you kids used to make up songs swinging, how we used to do it back in the day. Yeah, That's what it yeah, sounds like yeah. to me. Yeah. And again, I, I make the statement. Ski Yee was named Rap Song of the Year of 2023 by the Rolling Stone. If that tells you anything in the state of music, the state of music is right now. And my I mean, question is, who and what is a Ski Yee? The world may never know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for mature <laughs> audiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah, stupid. What? What's next, kill? <laughs> That's so next. basic. I swear. <laughs> yeah. So basic. Yeah. Next up, our boy Luther Vandross. A house is not a home. Mm. A room is still a room, even when there's nothing. But gloom, but oh, it's not a house, and a house is not a home when the two of us are far apart, and one of us Now, and then. I'm sorry. <laughs> now I could have picked so many Luther Vandross songs that are covers. Could have filled a show. I know, right? But mm. I picked this one because this is one of my mommy's favorite. <laughs> and this is from his 1981 debut album, Never Too Much. The track, which was recorded at 
seven minutes long originally, was released as a single and became an R&B hit almost immediately. And later, one of Vandross's signature songs, his performance of the song at the 1988 NAACP Awards telecast would bring the original singer to tears. And who was the original singer? Um, um, uh, what's my call it? Um, Solid Gold. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Dion Warwick. Dion Warwick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dion. I love you. No, no, Dion it's Warwick. Cool. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this was a 1964 ballad written by the team of Burt Baccarat, who we mentioned earlier, and Hal David for the 1964 film of the same name, starring Shelley Winters and Robert Taylor. Didn't know that. The song was recorded by Dionne Warwick at Bell Sound Studios in New York City and was a modest hit in the United States for the singer, peaking at 71 on the pop singles chart as the B-side of the top 40 single. It's funny that they say it's a modest hit because I always saw it as a major, major hit, but you know everything has to be compared to the pop charts, you know, whatever. But this is Luther's song. It's yeah, an, it, it, ain't, it ain't nobody else's song. It's Lufa. 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 Once he song. sang it. Yeah. Once he sang it, it was his. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you to all those who auditioned it for him. But it's Luther's song. Absolutely. I mean, is, it, is there such thing as a bad Luther song? Mm-mm. No. No. Because I, I, no. No. I, I could have also picked Creep. Which was yeah. originally sung, I mean, which is original song from Stevie. I who have nothing. Um ooh, ooh. gosh. <laughs> he did a lot. He did a lot of covers. He yeah. did. He did. He really did. In addition to his original song. Superstar. Yeah. Superstar. Superstar. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta love the carpenters. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But his version, oh my god. Elevated it. Elevated it. Absolutely. It's his song now. He was the king of covers. He was the king of covers. He took it and he molded it into what he wanted. Because, you know why? Because Dionne Warwick was his his mentor. I mean, that's who he idolized and loved. And they sing similarly. His styling is similar to how Dionne Warwick would shape her stylings. She could manipulate the song and make it her own. And uh, I think he really saw that and adopted that for his own. So... It, look, look, listen closely, and um, you'll hear how they have similar stylings when it comes to singing. Watch some episodes of Solid Gold when she's singing, and she never sings a song the same way, ever. All right. What's next, Kim? Next up, Byron had some commentary about some things he needed uh, to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well... Okay, so research has shown that people feel more connected to one another when they call each other than when they text. So people mm-hmm. who can hear one another's voice seems to build strong, stronger bonds than those who only communicate via text. So I'll pose this question because this is a very irritating thing for me right now, especially when it comes to like socializing and, you know, when you're the whole gamut. Maybe it's a sign of the times. Maybe I'm showing my age or whatever, but it really baffles me why people are just so persistent on only texting. I don't have the bandwidth to sit there and 
texts and stay in my phone all day. I can't be monitoring all of these different text groups, these apps, social media groups to keep up with these communications. Just give me a call. I'll just say, give me a call so we can have this communication. But what do you all have to say about that? Byron, look into my eyes, man. Look at my eyes. <laughs> and see what Byron, I'm thinking. <laughs> Byron, look at, look at me, Byron. Please look at me. You looking at me, man? I'm looking at you. We are here. <laughs> We are here. We Doesn't are it go connected. back to what you were saying about this microwave world yeah, that we're in? I, I hate texting with a passion. Because by the time I'm sitting there with my thumbs, all right, and then you got to, these, these smartphones are too smart for their own good. You're trying to press one thing. Sometimes my thumbs is too big. And when I'm trying to press the M, I press the N. You know, by the time I do all that, I could have been and called you and just told you, or you could have mm-hmm. called me and told me just what you needed to say. And and that's the end of it. I just don't understand. And then what if you can't, what if you can, there are people in the world that really can't read and write or spell like that? You know what I'm saying? Not trying to poke fun at anybody, but I mean, what good is it going to do? That's them? the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what good is it going to do them? So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Byron. Just, just pick up the phone and call me. Especially if it's a long conversation. I mean, if it's something short, oh, I'm going to be there around 12 p.m., that's one thing. But to have a long back-to-back ongoing conversation, I'm like, okay, let's land this plane. Call me. Yeah, yeah. yeah now, now, isn't that what I think the problem is with relationships now? Mm-hmm. Is that there are nonverbal cues when it comes to conversations, whether it's over the phone or face to face, my facial expressions, the way that I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you get a better understanding of where I'm coming from. But when you're just typing it, it just is what it is. And the tone can be mm-hmm. misrepresented. You know, I could I could <laughs> say the same thing in two different ways, and it could yeah. mean two completely different things. Right, right. I I want to. And just to kind of touch on what you were saying, you know, the nonverbal cues, and now it's getting worse to where not only we're texting words and sentences, to now it's getting to a point where people are still starting to use emojis. Mm, or you gifts. don't even text anymore. You just put an emoji, and we're supposed yeah. to understand oh, what that or means. Or gifts. Like, and, yeah. You know, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> but as we're talking, I'm trying to dig deep into this whole um, topic and try to figure out why people would want to, you know, move in that direction. And the only thing that I can think of is maybe they're scared of some type of disappointment. Maybe they're scared of something that we might say out loud that we wouldn't be able to use our Twitter fingers with. I, I'm not sure. I don't understand the. I don't know. I have friends who they say, oh, oh I can't stand talking on the phone. Just text me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't. But that's get a that. lack of effective communication. They have not been taught how to effectively communicate, and that loss of communication is being shown because that's how a lot of arguments and and missed opportunities happen because of a loss of effective communication. And I'm talking about all the time I laughed at from some, a lot of my friends because we're in this like WhatsApp group and it's always going off all day and it's just a plethora of, of information or communication. It's just a chat box. And by the time I look at it, I'm responding to something that may have been dealt with two weeks ago. You know, that's how bad it really gets. And I'm sorry. I just, 
don't have that type of bandwidth. I'm too busy in the day. Too much to do. I'm in yeah. my work phone with text messages. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to still be on my phone <laughs> right. texting. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It's kind of like goes back to back in the day when everybody had landlines and mm-hmm. even though everybody didn't have a, a what you call it, not the voicemail. Answer machine. Answer machine. If you needed to talk to somebody, you, you still can get through to them because you knew where they worked, you knew what time of the day they would be home, and people would always be, be able to get to you at some point during the day. But now, I don't know. I understand the convenience of texting or not, but just, I'm like you, Byron. Just just call me, tell me what you had to tell me. Yeah, it's also passive because some people use texting and think that's an excuse for, oh, I, I texted you, I told you. And I run into this a lot with my job, and I tell my team, so I say, hey, if you're in an emergency situation. Is there something extreme that needs action? You texting me is not telling me. So you're going to be still held accountable. You know, if it's something that needs my immediate attention, you need to blow my phone up and call me if you want my attention, you know. And by someone just texting and going on with their business tells me you're not trying to get it resolved. You're just trying going to the motions and doing your own thing. Right, right. Absolutely. Another great conversation, guys. Mm-hmm. What's next, Cam? As yet, hard to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, love. It's hard for me to say I just want you to know. Song. Was that on a beautiful Love song? Love that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That was As Yet, American R&B group with their cover version of A Hard to Say I'm Sorry from their 1996 self-titled debut album, which was produced by Babyface. A remix version by David Foster was released as a single on February 3rd, 1997. It features vocals from Peter Tessera. Was that that version? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I thought it was. Uh, Foster won a BMI Pop Award for this version. The song peaked at number seven on the UK singles chart and number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. However, this, again, we, we said this song was covered and was originally a power ballad by the group Chicago, written by bassist Peter Cetera, who we heard on, on that on that version, who also sang least on the track. It was released May 17, 1982, as the lead single from the album Chicago 16. It reached number one for two weeks on the Hot 100 and was the group's second number one single. Mm. Classic, classic song. I'm so happy that As Yet covered it. I, um, I, I think anyone could sing this song and it could still be an endearing song for me because I just love this Chicago track. I mean, I love that band, you know, everything that they released. You know, they were just that group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this remix, I definitely wanted to make sure it was showcased because, I mean, As Yet's version, it's good. It's great. 
it's great. But I think when they added Peter Cetera to it, it just I know. solidified it even more. You know what I mean? It did. It did. I used to love me some Chicago when I was little. And they they could be considered kind of blue-eyed soul too. Because mm-hmm. they are their their music kind of had that 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 umph to it. It really Bonk did. and jazz and all of that good stuff. It did. And just like Byron said, the as yet version was good, but once Peter Cetera started singing, that's when it just took it to that next level. It did. It did. And then it- um I gotta give a big shout to As Yet, you know, they they really had some good run in the mid late nineties. They kind of follow suit to me, Boys to Men. If you think about the first couple of uh, albums that Boys to Men had, they would take old they would cover old songs and make an a cappella version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Motown Philly had So Hard to How Do I Say Goodbye to Yesterday. Yeah, So Hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Two had, what was what was the one that the second album had? But I know they did an acapella version, an acapella version of a new edition, Can You Stand in the Rain? Mm-hmm. As yet, they had a couple of... Um, this version was acapella, I believe, on the yeah, album. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, big ups to As Yet and these R&B groups from the 90s that paid homage to some of the songs that we grew up on and make covers out of them. So, again, I love it. I definitely love this song. That's what I miss, too, about these artists, too. We don't see a lot of them reaching back and actually paying homage to pioneers. That solidifies, I think, an artist as well. If they know their history and are able to put their artistry, apply it to something that's classic that's been done before. But love this song, nonetheless. Absolutely. And that's why, again, that's where we come in, that we've got the good, good experience. Just take a moment to, you know, you can follow us on the We've Got the Good, Good Experience page. You can listen to this episode and other episodes everywhere you find your podcast. We're on iHeart. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube now. So go listen to the We've Got the Good, Good Experience podcast. We're doing some really big things, trying to pay homage to some of the pioneers. And, and what's the word I'm looking for here, guys? Um <laughs> <laughs> we try to preserve, preserve. Yeah, that's uh, the word. yeah definitely preserve. preserve. Yeah, <laughs> preserve the music that was the soundtrack of our lives. There we go. Thank you. There it is. There it is. Consider us the museum <laughs> for music. There you go. You Send it in, Jerome. I tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're the audio gonna... music museum for music. Good, wow. good experience. The you... museum of music. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'll... What do we do now? <laughs> I know, up. right? Next up. That's like a mic drop yeah. moment, right? I yeah, know. Like, oh, we're, we're just, <laughs> our brains just kept going. It's like, where could I? I'm putting everything. Okay. Next up, Janet Jackson. Tonight's the night. All right. Good morning, angel. My heart's on fire.
Gotta love you some Janet. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, you guys. Tonight's the night. Gonna be all right. That's a song written by Rod Stewart, recorded at the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Sheffield, Alabama for his 1976 album, A Night on the Town. This was a major hit for him. However, Janet Jackson recorded this song for her 1997 banging album, The Velvet Rope. And that's a critical album. I... Can't say enough about that album. So on Janet's version, the lyrics imply that she and her partner are about to share a threesome with another woman. Because at the beginning of the song, you hear her saying, you know, one of her interludes, Mm -hmm. this is just between me and you and you. And additionally, each chorus addresses a different person. You know, most of the songs, she says, I love you, girl. You don't hear her say, I love you, boy, until until toward the end of the song. She interchanges it. So what do you guys have to say about Janet's take on Tonight's the Night? Tonight's the Night. I had never heard this version. I had never heard this version. But it is a nice melodic version. Mm -hmm. But I do remember Rod Stewart back in the day. It was a long, long time ago, though. (laughs) Fair enough, yes. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little disappointed, but not for the reason where you may think. I think the song is awesome. But when Kim announced, next up, Tonight is the Night by Janet Jackson, I'm just thinking You thought it was Betty White. Oh, yes. Betty White, man. Yes, yes. You thought it was Betty Wright. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I, I understand your... Yes, she had. Yes. Yeah. I wish somebody would remake that. Wouldn't that be interesting? That would be very interesting. But really, who could really put a real good spin on it the way that Betty Wright did? I don't think anybody can. Beyonce? Maybe Fant- <laughs> no. Maybe Fantasia. Maybe, uh, gosh. Um, Coco Jones. That's one of the only ones uh, nowadays that kind of like I her. I think Ari Lennox could probably Ari do Lennox it. Lennox could do it. Yeah. Not she Jasmine Sullivan. Jasmine Sullivan, maybe? Jasmine Sullivan, probably. Jasmine Sullivan, def- definitely. Okay. Okay. And shout out to these artists. These are artists that are still putting out music now. They're a little bit newer that we actually like. Yeah, Rod yeah. Stewart. Yeah, and Rod Stewart just released new music. I think this week as well. I think. All right. Mm-hmm. More like a swing type of album, but. Okay. But yeah, tonight's a night. Absolutely. <laughs> What's next, Kim? This is our last song. Whoa. All right. All right. That's the end. That's the end. Right. <laughs> oh, we, this was this was our last one. Janet was the last one. No, I have one oh. last one. Oh, okay. And this is my girl Rochelle Pharrell. Oh, my that's funny right. Valentine. Yes, can't forget her.
I can see her face twisting all up. You you know how she does. You know how she does. But this is one of those songs that you had to have the album to know about. And this is from track eight from her second album. I believe it was her second album, First Instrument. Which was actually her first album, but they put it out. It was released overseas first. But (laughs) that's just a little little known fact. She did this album first. And it wasn't released here in the States first. And it was really, it. It, was, it was released Got as her sophomore album. But yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So Welcome to My Love was the first album released mm-hmm. in the United States, but yeah. first instrument was released overseas. Right. Got it. However, this song is about 70 years old and has been recorded over a thousand times, not to mention performed in more than 10 Hollywood movies. It first appeared on April 14, 1937 in the Broadway musical Babes in Arms. And originally it was sung by the female character Billy Smith to her romantic interest, male character Valentine, Val Lamar. But in 1952, it became a big hit for jazz trumpeter and just turned vocalist Chet Baker. A power of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt. I felt this all in my arthritic joints. I mean, not arthritic you felt it joints. in your spine. It went to your brain. Pharrell, <laughs> <laughs> man, she has a very powerful, powerful, powerful voice, and I would give anything to to have her in our presence, so we can just. We don't, I, she don't have- I know. I want to see her in concert and have her in our presence. Yeah, yeah, she could read. She could sing the dictionary to me, and I'd be like this honey, the entire time. Honey. Every word, every I'd be like, and her face will distort into these <laughs> to 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 <laughs> some type of metamorphosis into like a monster. But the the voice, the 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 timber, the the tone will come out perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Another great joint, Barbara Shell. As we come to the end of this episode of the We've Got the Good Good Experience podcast, as we pay tribute to our love covers episode for Valentine's. Any plans, guys, for Valentine's? No? Yes, no? Ain't quite sure? Every day is Valentine's Day. Every day is Valentine's Day. I'm going to go to the dealership and get a new car. Oh, congratulations. Okay, that's what's up. Mm. No bigger Valentine than that. So, guys, we want to say thank you for listening to this episode. We want you also to go on wherever you listen to your podcast. Go check out our latest episode, first one of 2024, after our hiatus. As we freestyled into 2024, we really had a lot of fun making that one, as you can tell when you listen to it. And speaking of the Grammys, congratulations goes out to a friend of the good, good, Tari Torre, her husband, Jay Ivey, won another Grammy. He is a very talented Poet, writer, director, one of the driving forces of the Netflix special about Kanye West, Genius. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you spell it. Yeah. Um, and we got a chance to listen to them on the, a special performance on the Today Show early in the week. What did you guys think of it? I loved it. 
It was so of great seeing the two of it. them on the stage at the same time on the screen and just the look on their faces and they both kept looking at each other and I just loved it. It was just a, a sight to behold and I sound mean, to hear. Yeah. Exactly. They are a force together. They are yeah. a force. And but even apart, Tari, we love you. We love you, Tari. <laughs> and I mean she sounded great. Jay Albert sounded great. We just so proud. So proud. And they started where? Right yeah. here on the good good. <laughs> <laughs> the Museum of Music. The yeah. Museum of Freaking Music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And again, don't just be good to each other. Be good, good to each other. Until next time, y'all. Bye, good, good family. Bye, good, good family. Good, good.